I'm Brian Betts. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, good morning to everybody online that's joining us. Hey, I'm curious. Last I checked, we are 21 days into January. Uh, how many of you are New Year's resolution people? They use this as, as a moment to do things. Absolutely no one. <laughs> so my assumption is the rest of you guys either just rocket and growth all year long or you've just perfected life. You're just good. Uh, I will tell you what I did with my time. I used the turn of the year as the motivator to take on all those stubborn home improvement projects uh, that are always staring me in the face, and there is nothing more humbling for me than home improvement projects. I learned my limits real fast. Uh, I'm not completely incompetent, uh, but I would say I max out it if you need a big, solid wall rolled, painted, that's probably about as good as I can do. Uh, I, God did not give me a gifting for small details. I can't draw the straight line when I paint. Uh, I recocked our bathtub uh, over the break, and you can tell I recocked our bathtub <laughs> over, over the break. Uh, it, it did not work out well. One of the things that uh, it may or may not need to get redone. Um, one of the things that Home Improvement Projects has, has helped me grow in and understand is my limits. Uh, I am so grateful to see that, but I'm even more grateful to understand that there are other people around me who help, who are more gifted than I am, that I can call on and that I can support. And out of their generosity, not only have they come and helped me with stuff, some of them have been brave enough to try and teach me what to do. Uh, and every once in a while, I come kind of close. Uh, ben Lahat, our, our sound guy, came and helped me out with some electrical work at our house because he has a background in that. And uh, he set me free to make sure that I put in a little drywall patch. And Ben came back and went, you clearly worked on that drywall patch. That is, I thought I showed you how to do this. Um, I, am, uh, I, I am so grateful to, to all the folks who have, who have stepped in to do this. And, and you might ask, why on earth am I telling this story? It's because the honeydew list has gotten out of control and I'm just pandering. Please come help me. I just need... <laughs> I need somebody, Janelle will have a list in between services. You can just sign up and come and help with things around the house. I have some more electrical stuff to get done. Um, no, I'm, talk I'm talking about gifting and understanding what we're good at because that's what Paul is going to talk about today. Uh, Paul has set up chapters one through three of getting to the core of understanding who we are, that God has chosen us, that it is nothing of our own doing that has brought us here together as a church, that has brought us to faith. And to start chapter four, now we're starting to actually put action items to us to get us to think about things, to get us to understand how this actually pours out of us, how this grows. And today he's gonna talk about, if you haven't noticed, we're all unique. Some of us are good at home improvement, some of us are not. Some of us are musical, some of us are not. Some of us get business, some don't, some are artistic, some don't. And it's all part of God's plan for the church. That all of our diversity, all of our uniqueness, our depth of gifts and our breadth of gifts would all come together to actually represent and manifest his plan for showing his glory. And so he's actually going to kind of go at it by answering three questions for us. How do we get gifts? Why do we get gifts? And what happens when we use those gifts? And you can't look at, at, at this week without going back to next week, but I'm going to read the text first for this week, and then we'll go back and look a little bit at, at last week's text. Uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave us the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of doctrine, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Hey, gracious Heavenly Father, as we, as we look at what Paul is trying to do to advance our view of the church and how we fit, open our hearts to your spirit. Open our minds to your spirit. Help us to process who we are in you, what our gifts are, how we can come together, how we can support each other through that. And let us, when we leave today, be encouraged. Be encouraged that our foundation of being connected to you because of your grace, because of your gift, that we see this world differently and we go about living in this world differently for your glory. Amen. So here's his very first point. How do we get all gifts? Jesus. Jesus gives all gifts. Now, he doesn't say it super easy, so we're going to look at the text really quick. We have to connect it to the context of the week before. So Todd last week talked about how our humbleness, Paul's trying to get to see our humbleness, our gratefulness, our patience, being together in love, that that is the thing that unifies us. And picking up in verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And if you don't think we're serious about unity around here, we gave you one driveway this morning. That was not mine. Julie Pickering doesn't want anyone to know that she said that to me, and I could not not give her credit. I, that, I just wanted to talk about that this morning. I have nothing else left to say. Uh, but this unity, this idea, we are grounded together in one. And so when he switches to verse 7, he starts off, what does Paul do in the Bible? Paul throws his butt around. He puts that in there, and he tries to get people to realize he's moving, he's moving topics. There's always a pivot when he does that. So he says, but, he's talking about unity, 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 unity. We're all locked in one. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now to understand really where he's leaning into with this, we lean into the back part of that sentence, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's trying to remind us everything we get from Christ is a gift. It is grace. And this includes who we are, our experiences, our understanding, 
and our giftedness, how we physically can go about things, what makes us us, our unique story. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That sentence, that verse is so packed that there's multiple things he's trying to get us to understand with this idea. The first is that each believer receives gifts. Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ, all of us have some sort of gift that we bring when we come together as a body. And he wants us to understand, too, these gifts are diverse. His goal was not to build this homogenized church where everything is exactly the same and we're a bunch of robots and we all do and say and act the same way and we all wear the same uniform. That's not his intention. The beauty is that our uniqueness comes together and we learn how to actually lift each other up in our uniqueness. And he wants us to get together and understand that we're together. But even above that, he wants us to understand that it is Jesus according to the measure of Christ's gift. And when he uses measure in this case, he means the prerogative, the judgment, the choice. Jesus is choosing. Jesus chooses who gets certain gifts. When I struggle with what I'm good at or wondering, I'm actually doing a disservice to who gives me my gifts. If you ever wonder if your talents were meant for you, Jesus, the creator of the universe, the person who's holding it together, has given you individually the right gifts for you. The perfect set of gifts for you. The experiences that came from having these gifts for you. It might be you're good at math. It might be you're good at art. It might be you're a great listener. It might be you're a leader. Jesus himself has chosen to give those gifts to you. How cool is that? Each of us are sitting here and inside of us, our giftedness, what we're going to go home, what we're going to share during the week comes from him. It changes the way we look at the world. And it also means we need to understand this too. He doesn't say it. Paul doesn't say it, but it means Jesus also chooses who doesn't get certain gifts. As a kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete so bad. So bad. Now, for the record, when I hit high school, my freshman year, I was five foot, half inch, 110 pounds. I was the smallest kid in my graduating class in eighth grade, but I still thought I was going to be a professional athlete. I got to six foot by the time I was in high school, and I packed, my, I packed on pounds. I was all the way up to a buck 35. And I will tell you, in college, there was still something in the back of my brain that thought I was still going to be a professional athlete. If I kept shooting free throws, three-pointers, throwing baseballs, whatever it was, somehow in bottom feeder co-ed uh, co softball, someone was going to see me and help me be a professional athlete, pick me out and go, come on, the angels are ready. You can't be any worse than what we already have. <laughs> go Dodgers. <clears throat> It took me a long time to realize that this same drive, this same motivation carried with me. It carried into my job. It carried into my, the beginning of my professional career. Part of it was ego. 
I just genuinely believed I could attack everything and I could, I could add value to every single situation. So what I did, I spread myself thin. I raised my hand for everything, from every project to the new business pitch team, so we were on the road all the time. I was the first person on the team that went and did our first out-of-state business. So I was on a plane three weeks out of every month going to Houston. Left my wife and kids behind for a substantial amount of time because I thought that I was nobly pursuing this belief of my giftedness. Now, I was gifted to some extent, but I had no boundaries. I had no appreciation for what my limitations were, including time, including the ability to be in two places at the same time. So not only did I have to reconcile that I actually wasn't going to be a professional athlete, I had to reconcile that I'm a finite being. And even, even when I first came to faith, I was still carrying this with me. To understand the challenges I was causing, the potential damages I was causing to, to not being around for my family. I was making money, but I can't get that time back. I thought there was going to be nothing emotional in this sermon that was going to get to me. That almost did. Understanding our limits, understanding we can't be in the same places, understanding that physically we just aren't the best at everything. It opens us up, one, to appreciating other people's value, to seeing that other people are capable, to rallying and building a team, to rallying and building a church, to being used to this being the thing. More than anything else, this appreciation for our limits, it helps us cling to Jesus more. It helps us understand that he didn't give us everything because he wants us to lean into him. If we were perfect at everything, we'd be him. We're broken, we're finite. And he wants us to understand that. And if Paul doesn't think this is enough to get us to understand how cool it is that what we do have comes from Jesus, he spends the next three verses making sure we get a picture of how amazing Jesus is. Uh, pick it up from seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gift to men. When he, after his death and resurrection, when he went back up, he ascended. And because of that, he gave gifts to men. And then to explain it, he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He came down and fulfilled his purpose as a man. He brought himself humbly to save us. And he who descended is also the one who ascended because he lived a perfect life, because his sacrifice was enough. He was able to go up and give us the spirit. And not just give us the spirit, but he ascends far above the heavens that he might fill all things, his presence in all things. And Paul, very specifically, because he's talking about the church, wants us to understand he's talking about the church. He is the head of the church. This amazing Jesus who saved us from our sins, who broke the bonds of death, also gave us our individual gifts because in his role as the head of the church, this is part of his role, giving us diverse gifts, is part of Jesus' role of the church. This is his goal. This is his hope. This brings glory to the Father by how we all come together. And so now Paul's going to dig in. He's going to actually start to explain out how the church body works together. And he goes here. He says, Jesus gives some gifts to equip everyone. So after he gives us this big picture of who Jesus is, 
He goes into details, and, he's gonna, and he says, to the church, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, at the time, there were apostles, the work of the prophets to help prove out that Jesus came, the early stages of the church. We don't see those nearly as much, but today we still have, to varying degrees, because people like to change titles and stuff, we have evangelists, we have shepherds, and we have teachers. That is a common thing today with the church. And their goal is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Jesus, who has understood that it's important to give diverse gifts to everybody, also understands that he's going to gift some people to equip everyone else. And these gifts for those, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, is to keep the body focused on Jesus, to keep the foundation solid. What does that mean? What do these roles have in common? To varying degrees, depending on the role, it's for the discernment of truth to lean in and understand scripture, to understand how it matches with culture, and to discern that, to preach the truth, to teach the truth, and to establish a spiritual path and focus for those entrusted to them. Most of you, when you came in today, you got one of these. If you haven't seen it before, on the inside front cover, it's the things that matter to us. This isn't just jargon. This isn't checking a box that we need, a business statement that we need something. Our goal to encourage people to enjoy God together, our mission statement, because we get it from here. We see the importance of it. All the way down to those things that matter to us. What we think about God matters. That we find our greatest joy in Jesus. That we are expected to help people help other people. They aren't just words. We believe in this so thoroughly that as your evangelists, your shepherds, your teachers, those that you have entrusted, those that God has entrusted with this congregation, it matters to us. And it's not lost on other biblical authors too. Peter talks about it. The author of Hebrews talks about it. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. You, to understand how the church is built together we need to work together and we need to appreciate those that God has gifted to be here. And, he also, and the author of Hebrews also points out, though, that those people understand they watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to God. There's a gravity to those he has gifted for this role. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, the congregation. Support them. Help them. But to, that's also not to say blindly let them get away with anything. Not many of you, James says the same thing, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because we know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. There's a gravity to those that Jesus has gifted. There's an understanding that as those evangelists and shepherds and teachers, the stewardship of the church is so important. And the reason why is that Paul said it. These gifts and these roles are to help launch the individual gifts of the church. Paul doesn't say the only role is to pass everything on to a pastor and make them teach everybody and disciple everybody. No, 
The pastor's job is to ensure that we all help and stay focused on Jesus and we equip everybody. And if you need a one-on-one, everyone on staff is happy to talk with you and help you work through stuff. Whatever it might be, your questions about theology, your questions about life circumstances, we're all super happy to be a part of that. But ultimately, our role is to equip all the saints, all of you, for ministry so that you can go create disciples, so that you can have confidence in who you are in Christ, and that unlocks our dignity and our grace and our excitement for our giftedness and that diversity of how we all get access to different places and different people all comes together through this equipping and we can do much more in our diversity than if we were all exactly the same. And Paul's going to continue to build on this. He's going to say that Jesus' gifts are given to help us all grow. We equip the saints for the building up of the body. He gave us the prophets, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Together, we all build this up. And that means pulling in new people, and that means supporting each other, helping to build each other up and give each other confidence when we fall, when we struggle, when we're lost, when this broken world hurts us. We rally around each other. We hold each other up. We listen when we need to listen. We care when we need to care. We even speak firmly when we need to speak firmly. Because this is God's plan for his church. And Paul's going to break this down and bring up three other things. And here's the basic idea. That when we build this together, it's for the goal of unity and it's for the goals of body. All of, this, all of these next things are collective ideas to come together and grow us together in these things until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, there's a couple of things in the Bible that, that in, in classroom stuff they'll talk about already, not yet. And all of these things are something that we have some amount of already. We have knowledge of the Son of God. We have unity, but it will never be perfected until Jesus comes back. So we have it already, but the fullness and the glory is not yet. What Paul's trying to say is that fullness, we don't have it yet, and we don't know when it's coming, and it's been going for 2,000 years. And so this equipping of the saints is for endurance, to be able to send it to the next generation, to be continued to build it up. We will all have seasons where we need to be helped and we will all have seasons where we can help. And this is what Paul is trying to take us up to, that we will attain to the unity, we will keep going and that we will do this to mature manhood that is a complete church body. We will continue to grow and mature and come together collectively. We won't allow ourselves to fracture and break and be lost. We will work together And we will do this to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's trying to say here, the head of our church is so incomprehensibly amazing. Our goal is simply to just keep pursuing to a place where we feel worthy of being attached to him. That as a collective body, we can say, Jesus, we may not be perfect, but we want you to be proud. We hold you in the highest regard, and we want, if you're the head, we want the rest of the body to be worthy of the head of the church. And so Paul has built this whole thing together to say, when you understand your gifts, when you understand how we all work together in our diversity, and it connects us to unity, and we build together and we mature together, 
We are fulfilling the role of the church. Now, at this point, it probably begs the question, how do, how, maybe I don't know what my gifts are. How would I actually know what my giftedness is, especially in terms of the church? And I think we have a couple of things in culture that, that, that we struggle with right now, outside our walls and even inside our walls. We have a false sense of humility. We have, we have this over-humbleness that, that, that we've so leaned into people coming off as bragging or, or you don't want to grandstand, you don't want to come off as something bigger or, or people are turned off by it, that we passively sit back when we are gifted. We don't step up as leaders. We don't step up as faithful. We don't step up as someone who's a great listener who hears the pain or who hears the issue and doesn't address it. And so it may not even be on purpose, but we're so concerned about being seen as braggadocious or something that we pull back and we sit on our hands and we hold back our words. And so it's important to understand that our gifts come from Jesus and that we can process these things. I think on the other side, we just continue to be divided. You pick the thing, and there's reason to be divided. Economics, politics, technology. And we get so comfortable in the pockets that we're in that we start struggling to, to connect to other people, people that we can learn from, whether we, we have more years on them and can bring them through, or whether we can actually appreciate a youthful perspective. And so we get so caught up in just wanting to be in our own bubble because it's safe and it's comfortable that we struggle to have the conversations in which we can make connections and learn how to use our gifts. So I think an assessment of who we are in our gifting is so key. And so I came up with four things, not clinical, not based on research, just feels like here's how we know what our gifts are. The first, guess what, RCC, you enjoy doing it. It brings you joy to do this thing. You have fun doing it, and there is nothing that glorifies God more than enjoying what you're doing. And you get feedback about it. Others actually tell you that you're good at it. It can be the physical gift, and it can be the experience that you bring that your gift has unlocked. When you spend 40 years in business and you keep getting promoted, you get a perspective to help other people along the line how that works. When you have been an artist, a struggling artist, and the creative breakthrough and those being true to yourself has been a challenge, you can help other artists understand how that works and what it's like to go there. And when they're struggling, you can lift them up. So it's seeing that your gift has value from other people. The other is that you desire to get better at it. And maybe through time, your, your physical gift has diminished a little bit, the wear and tear on the body. I used to run competitively. I was pretty fast. I can't even run down the street anymore. My knees are shot. It has nothing even to do with my hip. I, can't, I teased my kids. I said, if you ever get in trouble, I'm sorry, you're just lost cause. I can't get to you in time. The, uh, you can ask them. It's true. I told them that. Um, but you know the stuff. You can pass along the intellectual knowledge, the experience. You can listen and help other people come along. And that you also have a desire to get better. If you're on the younger side and there's a place to grow, if we think we've perfected something at the age of 28, or heck, even in it, for me, it's myopic to think I perfected anything at 46. The desire to get better in your giftedness. That it's not just better than some, that you actually, for the glory of God, want to continue to improve 
so that one, you can continue to get better and help other people, but maybe that giftedness also unlocks other experiences and access to other people and allows it to come along. And lastly, and most importantly, that with this gift, you're passionate about using it for God and for the church. It's one of the things that struck me in my job. I was doing pretty well, and I was making my money, helping a stock go up a quarter because we pushed enough widgets. That's not to say that if you're doing that right now, it doesn't have value. But I was starting to get a call about what mattered. My overextending myself, my saying yes to everything, wasn't worth what I was doing to help out. Now, if I would have been smarter, if I would have been more capable, if I would have wrapped this around that this was that boundaries were part of faith, maybe I would have stayed in that job because I would, have, I would have built a different picture, a different set of boundaries that I could have helped there as well as contributed to the church. I was exhausting myself and I was helping no one. And then I understood at some point, even around my office, while working on these widgets with everybody else, with working on all these other people who didn't have boundaries, this was, advertising was known for, you went in at eight o'clock that morning and you did not know when you were going home. There was a check-in usually around six o'clock with my wife every night. Hey, I'll, I'm on my way, or I'll be home at eight, or I'll be home at 10, or I'll call you back at eight o'clock, and maybe you'll find out what time I might be home. One of the things I started to do after I started to come to faith is I started to stick around for some of those folks, and I started to have conversations about Jesus. I'm going to go here. Uh, I will probably cry. Um, I got a message Christmas Eve at 9 p.m. The head of PR from my last agency, she and I got along really well. Uh, she was sexually harassed. She was bullied, um, mostly all by the same person who was eventually fired for this. Uh, we built a rapport that I was her protector. I would be there. I would be in her office as a witness. I would show up. She would call me, get down here. He's coming. I've been told he's coming. So I would be in there. And in those conversations, she was an atheist who came from atheists, we started to talk about what makes us tick, how life works, what's life like with her daughter. And we started to share different conversations. And she started, by the time she left, she called me her pastor. She left about a month before I did. She started to go, this is Brian, he's my pastor. And we kept talking. On Christmas Eve this year, she came to faith this year. I hadn't talked to her in five years, and this was 100% God working in her life, the way she told me the story. We're going to get together soon, and we're going to catch up. Uh, and what God did in her life, I, I, I am on the clock, so I'm not going to go into all the details. You can pull me aside and ask me, and then I will weep fully in sharing it. God gave me and her an amazing gift this Christmas Eve to be able to share that conversation. And to see what he did. I got to plant the seed. I got the gift of being a little bit to help guide, to use, to be equipped at the time, to be equipped by the leaders here to help me go do ministry. And it was such a blessing. And we'll continue to when I get to hang out with her and get to talk about what life is like looking at. She said, this Christmas is so different. It's so exciting to be part of this. Guys, this is where Paul wants us to get to. 
He wants us to understand when we use our gifts, when we understand how the church works and all this stuff, he wants us to use these things together and make the church absolutely rock. Take the thing you love the most, whether it's basketball and you love guys passing around. I remember when the Golden State Warriors got really good if you follow basketball? They just played different. They passed and they moved in a way. It was beautiful. It was like a ballet. Maybe you're in the ballet. Maybe, maybe watching everybody move together just sets things off in your brain and in your heart and it's just gorgeous and you absolutely can't stand it. You just, you, you see it come to life, the unity of how they work together, the giftedness of how they work together for a common purpose. I'm always fascinated by symphonies. Did you know the London Symphony Orchestra has 96 musicians? Who knows if they've changed? Don't, don't trust the internet, I'm right, 96. <laughs> they all have different gifts. The French horn player is not the violinist. The violinist is not the person in the back on the triangle. But they all come together. If you have sat in a symphony before, the first time I went, I had things going off in my brain. I didn't even know where synapses. I just my whole body went to a place that I've never experienced. The art and the beauty of the symphony was so amazing. And it only works when each of them play their individual part. And they play it well and they play it toward a common goal. And all of that absolutely pales in comparison to the church. When we as a body work together and grow together and build in this. I'm going to read through the text really quick and then I'm going to summarize what he's trying to say. Paul says, when we do all this stuff together, when we attain the unity of the faith to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's chosen to talk negative first. What do we not do? What are the things that don't happen? Here's my summary of what it is. When we use our gifts together to make the church rock, here's what the church looks like. We don't get swayed by false ideas about God. We don't get lost in things, we understand who God is and we are able to reconcile how the world works because we understand who He is and we're working together to uphold Him above everything else. We are not swayed by false people. My heart breaks for everybody who has been wounded or misled by somebody who tries to use the name of God or the name of the church for their own purposes, for profit, for power. We are warned in the Bible that this is going to be happening. But when we work together, we are not lost. We come together in the clarity and the power of doing that together. And we are not swayed by bright, shiny objects that offer empty promises. There's no get-rich-quick schemes. There's no just vote for me and all your pain will go away. We understand the brokenness of the world, the work ethic that it takes, the importance and the challenge it is to continue in endurance and work together. We are not misled because we've, we're using our gifts together to come together and make this beautiful, beautiful thing. And then he goes to the positive. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ, from, the, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. The positives, the positives of what we do when we work together, when we rock together, we speak the truth with others best in mind. Everyone here, their spiritual destination, their spiritual focus, there is nothing more important. And we see that and we understand that and we stay connected to Jesus in prayer so that when it's necessary to speak into other people's lives, we do this and we do this in love. We collectively grow up in our experience and our expression of Jesus individually and collectively. We come together and we just keep getting more of him and it keeps coming out and we look back at old us and we are blown away with how we have grown in him because we are continuing to seek counsel and support and guidance of others and be around others and fine tune our skills, sharing with others what we have, giving it away to them. And we all work together for the good of the church. We understand that we, as the body, are joined together to glorify God, to show his manifold wisdom. And this is our highest purpose, the manifold wisdom of God's glory, to become the primary example of God's glory. And that we do this by using our diverse gifts to love each and every member of the church today and those who don't even know that they're going to be part of the church. My friend Erin, seven years ago, she didn't know she was going to be part of the church. Now she's part of the body. We are all so unique and so gifted, and this has come together through Jesus, through his plan, through God's sovereignty, through these things that we don't understand, but our diversity has come together to make us stronger than if we were all the same, to make us more unified than if we were all the same. It is such an incredible gift to get to do this with you guys, alongside you guys, and to share in those gifts with you. So this week, First and foremost, when you're doing stuff, when you're working on a project at work, at home, whatever, if you, for some reason, called me to come over and help on a home improvement project, I wouldn't know why you would do that. I want you to thank Jesus for graciously giving you the gifts that he divinely meant for you. Just take a little pause and go, man, the fact that I get to be a part of this is all because Jesus himself, the man holding the universe together, has given me exactly what's right for me. And I'm so grateful for that. The second is encourage someone else's gifts. We don't, we don't often get a chance to get encouraged or to give encouragement. If it's, if it's write a letter to somebody, if it's text them, if it's somebody from your past you haven't talked to in a while, if it's somebody that you get to see all the time, and you know they have something that they have shared with you that has helped encourage you, especially if you know that they are doing it for God's glory. Thank them. Encourage them. Encourage them to have that endurance to keep going, to help build up the church. It's a great moment, and it helps to unify, to continue to encourage each other. It just helps to unify and strengthen us. 
And last, if you're wondering what your gifts are, if you're trying to figure out, I mean, you might be in theory in college right now, trying to figure out, okay, how does this actually apply to the real world? Will I actually make it in the real world? Maybe you had a giftedness that the wear and tear of time is now softening it a little bit. So it's a little tougher to do what you used to want to do, and you're trying to figure out maybe in my next phase, my giftedness is something else. Spend some time with Jesus this week and say, help me to see what I can do for the body. Help me to appreciate what you've given me. Maybe it's just listening. Maybe it's just handing out a worship folder and saying hi and looking somebody in the eye. I'm so grateful to all of our greeters that they understand just the simplest expression can make people feel like this is home. It is a gift. It may not be doing quantum mechanics that just feels bigger and more interesting, but it does not have any less impact for the glory of God and for the body. So gracious Heavenly Father, please help us to continue to grow towards you and to see our giftedness. That as we reflect together on who we are, individually and as a body, that we appreciate the diversity that we surround ourselves with people who can help us be better, that we can surround ourselves with people that we can help. Give us open minds and open ears and open hearts and open eyes as we hope to share the joy of who Jesus is, to remain focused on the foundation of who you are and to help everyone grow in being disciples and mature believers because this is how you have appointed us. We are so incredibly grateful for how you have spoiled each and every one of us with what you have given us. Help us never to take that for granted and to celebrate doing this in you.